This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program is also available as a podcast from Wednesday evenings by going to SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. You can also find the podcast on rsn.net.au late Wednesday evenings by going to Programs than clicking on Women's Australian Rules Football. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to be chatting with the CEO of AFL New Zealand, Rob Van Stam. He's going to be talking about the growth of women's football in New Zealand, in particular their hopes of having an AFL women's game at some stage played in New Zealand and having a New Zealand senior women's side finally participate in the AFL International Cup, which is held every three years. The next edition, of course, is coming up in 2020. We'll also be checking in with Brian Barish from the USAFL as he previews the Central Regional Tournament. Also coming up, Michael Curran from AFL Island Women's as they talk about the Super Sevens Tournament. The final round was played over the weekend. The latest from the AFL London Women's League with Mariana Graham. We'll be checking in with Lauren Hodgson as well with the latest scores from the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. We'll be checking out the QAFLW, the WAFLW competitions, AFL Canberra First Grade Women's, as well as the VFL women's competition and for those wanting the latest scores and news for the AFL women's under 18 national championships being played at this moment on the Gold Coast because we're recording in the middle of the tournament we thought it'd be best to leave it to the experts you hear them occasionally here on RSN Carnival they have their own website draftcentral.com.au Peter Williams the uh, head there of draftcentral.com.au is up on the Gold Coast as we speak along with our very own Matthew Cox who is uh, broadcasting the games via the AFL Women's YouTube page. Go to their website, draftcentral.com.au for the latest articles, interviews and podcasts specifically related to the AFLW Under-18 National Championships. But now we cross the ditch to New Zealand for our featured guest. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, it's great to have on the line the CEO of AFL New Zealand in Rob Van Stam. Rob, how are you? Going well, thanks, mate, and happy to be here. Great to have you on the line, and congratulations for getting yet another New Zealand youth girl uh, listed to play for the Eastern Allies in the AFL Women's Under-18 Championships. Uh, yeah, it's a great achievement, and I think the most important element of that is actually being able to establish pathways for girls who want to play AFL within New Zealand, and how far can they go along that pathway through to AFLW representation. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Kalani? I believe she's uh, originally out of uh, Invercargill. Uh, so Kalani's been involved with uh, the youth girls program within the AFL New Zealand Academy for about uh, four years now. And she actually represented Tasmania even three years ago at the Under-18 Championships as a 16-year-old. So the progression for her is that along with a lot of um, talented athletes, she's good at a number of sports and, and netball is quite important to her as well. Um, the cost of participation to, to go to Australia is obviously can be taxing as well. And so she determined that uh, two years ago she would go. Last year she missed out this year she attended again. And um, her involvement as a 15-year-old uh, when she commenced to now, she's certainly um, you know, developed as a player and particularly a skill. 
and their ability to run with the football and a good drop punt as well. But uh, I think the most important element for us is that um, if she has a dream to be successful at AFL, we need to be able to provide a pathway for her. And so a lot of what we do within New Zealand is modelled around how do we provide opportunities for girls like Kalani. And we'll talk about that in a moment's time, about the pathway you've got going at the moment for youth girls and then the focus on senior women's football. But unlike other organisations that we spoke with, the USAFL, AFL Canada, AFL Europe, etc., who are all roughly about 20, 30, 40 years in their existence, uh, New Zealand's association with the Australian game actually goes back uh, almost 150 years. Yeah, well, I think the fact that uh, Australia is our closest neighbour, that makes a, uh, a big difference to that. I, I, I understand that there was um, connections with the gold mining days and Australians wanting to come over and obviously play a game they already knew and understood. Um, over the last 30 to 40 years, um, there was a bit of a drop-off following the Second World War, but last 30 or 40 years have been club structures within Canterbury, Wellington and Auckland. Um, those leagues are mainly focused on male adult participation, so the, the clubs have grown organically over that period of time. But yeah, there's always that close association and hey, you know, the the travelling between uh, New Zealand and Australia, I think there's over 600,000 New Zealand-born people living in Australia now, so it makes sense that those connections with AFL are going to continue to grow. So let's talk about how the pathway goes for young girls wanting to take part in the game. Of course, naturally over here in Australia, you take up Auskick, but you've got your, your own unique twist on that over in New Zealand. That's correct. So the Kiwi Kick program was introduced around about eight to nine years ago. Now, where we target that program is mainly towards uh, school-based opportunities. The reason for that is obviously developing a new sport. You need to have some low-hanging fruit to to approach and uh, catch your audience with school suits us a lot more than um, maybe a scattergun approach and, and trying to work with the um, traditional club program. But we see around about between 20,000 to 30,000 kids a year due, uh, through the Kiwi Kick program and those kids will be involved in, say, six weeks of ongoing activity. To some extent, that's it's always carried out by paid employees, and so we utilise it not only as an opportunity to introduce the kids to the game, but also as an opportunity to message them about other uh, connections, whether it be uh, after-school programs, um, the ability to uh, watch the game on television. Um, any type of messaging we can get, in connection with our visits to schools is an important element. Um, a good example of that would be, if we go back to the start of our program eight years ago, I could go to South, South Auckland and ask the kids in that uh, classroom who knew what AFL was and who'd ever seen a game and you wouldn't get a single hand. We asked the same question now eight years down the track and everybody puts their hand up. So what's becoming normal within New Zealand is to grow up with AFL as, a, as an option to play as they grow older. So we talked about in a moment's time, uh, pardon me, we talked about a little bit earlier about Kalani Mori, of course, now playing for the Eastern Allies. So to get from her journey, if she was starting out with Kiwi Kick to trying to get to a representative stage, what is that current yep. pathway at the moment for those uh, young girls coming through? Okay, so initial pathway will be school-based at primary school. So up to about the age of 12, we don't move away from the school. So we want to provide them with an environment whether it be during school or after school, where they don't have to move and travel can be a real issue, particularly in the Auckland region where travelling 5Ks can take half an hour. So uh, we base it there till 12. After 12, we go to regional youth competitions that are based in Wellington, Christchurch and Auckland. 
Now, within those competitions, there is under 12s, under 14s, under 17 age groups. Um, trying to work towards critical mass and all. And so, usually with the younger age groups, they can be combined, can be mixed grades as well. Following the youth competition, there is the opportunity to be involved with the AFL Academy. So, they move and transition into a performance-based program where they can participate and represent their country. So the big thing about New Zealand is that the concept of representing their country is so high on their priority list that that opportunity through any sport is, is viewed as um, a fantastic fantastic opportunity and, and we get people flocking to the sport for that particular option. Um we, from a senior point of view, which is in its early stages, because we have been working with juniors for the last eight years, we work towards a footy frenzy competition. This year we'll have, we'll have under, we'll have over 17 or adult grades in each of those three regions. So that's once again Christchurch, Wellington and Auckland, looking to expand to Dunedin in the future. Uh, to recruit, to assist with the recruiting for the women's senior competitions, we'll hold what they call, call footy frenzy, female footy frenzies. It's a recruiting drive. We find that we have a lot of people from the Gaelic associations that are interested in playing, but it's early days for that area. Um, one of the lessons we learned from AFLW was that it was 30 years of organic growth leading up to the AFLW competition, and once it was um, put in place since then, participation's exploded. So following off that battle, matter, that model, sorry, we're very keen to work towards the AFL New Zealand Premiership as a model for kids and, and uh, ladies to aspire to play. So if we get that up and running now, we reckon we can accelerate the uh, participation, particularly in the senior ranks as well. You talk about representative honours. If I'm correct, over the uh, past five or six years, you've had representative matches for the under-18 youth girls of New Zealand uh, against uh, the Australian Breeze originally, and I believe now against the Mornington Peninsula uh, Nepean Football League. Correct, yeah. So Mornington's come over for the last three years and we've also had visits from Port Adelaide Football Club Indigenous Girls as well. So amazingly, we're on a seven-game winning streak now. So you know, having beaten Australian opposition seven times in a row is a, a real feather in our cap. Uh, uh, the reality is, is in the men's grades, you know, we, we find it a little bit more difficult to do that because there's a 100 years head start on us. But when it comes to the female grades, the talent is here. There's no doubt of that. So um, girls like Kalani, um, particularly with 25 rookie sports still available on the AFLW list, that's in their sights. That's their vision of what where they can go to. Um, I think it's really important that the AFL clubs recognise that um, the talent pool and a new a new uh, pathway for talent is available within New Zealand. And I would think at the current levels, you're not compromising talent to open these pathways up. And so... It's a very real opportunity to get girls like Kalani playing at an AFLW comp, setting up a pathway to recognise by female talent within New Zealand, and then they can follow that same pathway. If I'm correct, I think Kalani's the third player from New Zealand to uh, take part in this program, which is getting access to the Eastern Allies via Tasmania. Um, how did that initial seed or idea come about to have at least one representative from New Zealand playing with Tasmania and then, by extension, the Eastern Allies? Well, many years ago, Jan Cooper was um, involved with the development of uh, the start of the female game. She was the one that brought the breeze over to, to play within um New Zealand as well and the concept there was that we needed to work from the top down we need to start start with pathways and figure out whether the talent works um, 
after that. Um, Lee Elder was a, a great uh, person to deal with in Tasmania, and he um, helped set up that pathway. Uh, we were based around mainly the fact that we we preempted the fact that the girls would be good enough. Tasmania was in early stages themselves in their development and needed some support. Uh, from that, Jolene Collins played and was successful in, and actually achieved in the best players for Tassie, followed by Kalani and then Jamie Wyatt as well. So there's more girls to come from that uh, that pool. And I think they're actually improving on the current girls that have attended as well. So I think if, if we're open-minded about uh, what we're trying to achieve here, and I know that the under-18 champs, uh, they've got some mandates there to... to provide opportunities for girls who are draftable, I think that these type of uh, relationships and pathways can continue. Uh, it's just important that we don't get too bogged down with what is currently uh, and we focus on more of what could be, particularly with so much talent within New Zealand that could be uh, utilised to play AFLW. Uh, you talked about just a moment ago about the uh, rookie spots that are available on the AFLW list, particularly those from other countries or from other sports that uh, are crossing over. Has there been much direct communication uh, by AFL New Zealand with those AFLW clubs about them trying to get an interest in New Zealand, particularly when we think of the aspect of such as uh, those crossing over from Rugby Sevens? We've seen it successfully happened at Carlton where uh, Australian Rugby Seven players and Chloe Dalton and Brooke Walker made a successful transition over. Is that an area you're trying to tap into? Uh, well, the opportunity's there, but at the same time, we've still got to recognise the fact that ASL New Zealand's a community-based organisation. So, yes, we do. Why do I want players to play ASLW? I, I want them to play so that they can provide an example of what could be and uh, incentivise the fact that more girls within New Zealand want to play. Uh, we've got a continuing partnership with St Kilda Football Club, and they've been they're very good to us over the years. The transition to uh, in playing further games in, in New Zealand is going to depend highly on the development of Western Spring Stadium. But the, that also brings up new opportunities for potential content of AFLW within New Zealand as well. Um, it's worthwhile looking at the fact that you know there's currently 14 girls playing in the uh, AFLW League now with New Zealand Heritage. Um, I'd expect that that's going to increase over a period of time. So if we look overall about where the game could go, um, I think we will get more opportunities. There is interest from AFL clubs. Uh, talking uh, just recently with Jason Hill from Cross Coders, who's done some successful combine tests in, in Ireland. Um, he sees the opportunity there as well. So we'll continue to work with that, but at the same time, there's a, there's a time and a place that we need to hand over these opportunities from AFL New Zealand as a community organisation to the AFL clubs. We'd love to facilitate that entry, but at the same time, We'd love for them to take over those opportunities as well. Let's talk about the senior women's competition, which made its debut this year um, with a, I believe it was a one-off game uh, between two sides. Um, before we look towards the future of that, what have been some of the hurdles to begin with to try and get this competition up and running, particular, particularly around, I guess, the time of year that you want to hold the competition? And I guess competition that you're up against of trying to uh, get women's attention, particularly when rugby sevens and netball so strong, for example, in New Zealand, trying to get women not necessarily completely away from those sports, but finding time in their day, in their week, to play the game? Yeah, you know, the real challenge is, is it's not part of the traditional um, games that are available to New Zealand. There's a definite lack of knowledge there. and We look at a, a three, 
three-faceted approach that we have with the development of the game over here, participation, live coverage on television and live content are all important elements to that. Our broadcast strategies is, is so important to ensuring that people can actually uh, understand what the game is about and actually gain an affinity with it. Um, to, to get a girl, as you talked earlier, from uh, New AF from Australian rugby to AFLW, that, that would have been difficult in itself. But to do that in New Zealand, where it's part of their DNA, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to watch the um, the uh, New Zealand Rugby Sevens girls play, but they they are elite athletes and, and they're amazing. And their contracts that they're playing on are significantly higher than what um, the AFLW can offer them as well. So. There's no shortage of talent here that's interested. So an example would be Daniel McKenzie, who's um, currently a competitor with the, uh, the Nutrigrain Iron Women Series and also a member of the Black Fins, very interested in participating in AFL. Caitlin Ryan is a current world record holder uh, in canoeing for, and is currently targeting Olympics in 2020. She wants to know what she's going to do after Olympics. Now, when we're talking about talent of that height, we've got to come up with a, a really good and viable options for these girls to transfer over to AFLW. Um, I think that for the general public, uh, it's an awareness campaign that we're still running. And that's got a long time to go before we can make inroads. I think it's about uh, the barriers we face is that we need to provide a quality experience for everyone who's playing, and that costs money to do that. Um, we don't want to hedge our bets and come up with a comparable experience that they might have to club rugby, we have to go better. So AFLW or the AFL New Zealand uh, Premiership match that was played last year was at an excellent stadium and involved girls flying from all over the country to participate. It cost a fair bit of money to put that on, but these are the standards we need to set if we're going to capture the imagination of, um, of girls within regions that are currently playing netball and rugby about what opportunities are there with AFL. Um, if those AFL opportunities aren't showcased or aren't understood well enough to incorporate um, New Zealand heritage and the cultural elements that are required, then it's going to fall short of providing us with a good, good enough option. I think that continued discussions with um, the various AFL clubs about how can we get girls to integrate, play a, play a season of AFLW but then come home to New Zealand play the tr- traditional sports, that may be one way to capture uh, more girls to be interested in the pathway. From my own context, I'm interested in more people playing uh, women's AFL within New Zealand. And so I need to keep uh, providing quality um, surfaces for them to play on, good environment. Our current club structure and league structure within New Zealand is completely focused on men's AFL. So we need to come up with a new government structure, which uh, ensures diversity of thought between uh, the boards of all those clubs and ensures that they're looking to the future to provide an environment that incorporates not only men's football but also female football and junior football as well. As you said, it's rather expensive to play in a national premiership. So obviously you've got your local regional leagues such as in Auckland and Wellington and in Canterbury. Uh, what is the setup there for women's football at the moment? Are the numbers low at the moment? And we're looking at probably doing similar to, I guess, the America or Canada model where you're more playing 9 or 12 aside at, at that lower level. I think it's really important to, to stay versatile and, and modify the game uh, where we, wherever we can. 
Um, I think that you look at any sport now, the different formats they've got, whether it be cricket in 2021 day and, and test cricket, I think that field size is a, a really important modification, particularly in international venues where we have access to a hell of a lot of rugby fields but not so many AFL fields. I also think that with the development of the game, it's a, it's a better look for six-a-side and nine-a-side where the girls get to touch the ball a lot as opposed to traditional 18-on-18 where we get one football between 36 girls, which is a, a bit different to when we go through our development programs and everyone's got a footy in their hand. So, yeah, there's some real issues to how we transition girls from uh, into a new sport, and I reckon versatility is really important. You mentioned with the leagues. Yeah, we're, we're at early days with those. So at currently, none of those leagues have a mandate to develop uh, women's football. And so we're really in a state of change at the moment where I think over the next two years, uh, the AFL New Zealand board has set themselves a target within the end of our uh, next phase of our strategic plan that female participation outstrips male. And I think that's very achievable, particularly when you look at models like um, uh, soccer in, in the USA where um, sometimes the demographics just suit, you know, to, to go down that, that track. And I reckon that uh, there's a real hunger for uh, participation models within New Zealand for females. Um, there's certainly a lot of funding towards that. And even from the, new, the government's new uh, decision with their wellbeing budget, a lot of that's focused on um, teenage girls and their um, involvement with sports. So... The future looks bright, but I think we're just at a, at a tipping point now where change um, has to be considered and implemented. We've had three versions so far of the uh, AFL International Cup for women, uh, yet to have a New Zealand team. We've had your Pacific neighbours in there in Papua New Guinea, Fiji, even Tonga and Samoa. Uh, by the look of it, it seems like the New Zealand Kahua are finally going to be there in 2020. What's the build-up like to August next year? We're, we're talking 13 months away now of finally having a New Zealand senior women's team debut at the International Cup. I think the key for us is making sure the girls can play as much football as possible for a low, as low amounts of money as possible. The, um, the trip to New Zealand to Australia is going to cost, on average, around about two and a half to three thousand dollars per person. Um, you mentioned this is our first cup that we've been involved with. We certainly have worked towards juniors and building up towards that. So we've had youth competitions for a number of years for girls, but nothing in the senior department. So what we found now. Over the last three years, we've had girls returning 17 and 18. We'll still have a very young team when we attend. Um, coaching appointments are yet to be made, but uh, this will all happen within the next two months as well. Uh, initially, our involvement it didn't add up. It, it was too hard to, to achieve the critical mass of um, participants and then ask them politely to pay $3,000 to be involved with the International Cup in their, their first outing. So even now, we find that... Um, our girls play a high level of or a high ratio of high performance games versus uh, general competition games. And so ideally, over the next 12 months, we'll get the girls playing as much as possible and make sure that, uh, well, just touching the ball as much as possible is going to make a big difference to their reading of the game and, and uh, how we compete. Uh, winning, losing, I mean, who can compare? You know, with countries coming from all over the world, not really worth measuring that. I think what we need to do is be able to provide a quality experience for our girls so that when they come back from the International Cup, regardless of results, 
they're spreading the word and they're saying to other people, hey, this is a fantastic experience, this is a great sport and you should get involved. And I guess the question tied into that, we, we see it with the Irish, how they have a, a number of Irishmen that are already based out here in Australia playing community football. It even happened with the Americans as well and the, and the British. Um, how do you find the right balance as well about getting, obviously, uh, a majority of your side from New Zealand, but sprinkling with that and trying to train and blend in the Australian-based New Zealand players? At the moment, I have no Australian-based New Zealand players that I know of, so... If the, if the international cup rules stay the same, it talks about uh, the development of the player between the ages of 10 to 16 in the country uh, of New Zealand for them to be able to participate. So there's a number of uh, New Zealanders born in New Zealand. I have to get dispensation for them to play. Um, my thoughts are is that I'd like to see the competition as a high level as possible. So... I think that anyone with New Zealand heritage, if they can get the opportunity, or any from the other countries as well, if we can lift the standard by having AFLW players playing in that competition, I think that would be a fantastic mindset to up, uh, uh, rate the, uh, the international component of AFL, which needs to be uplifted. Um, I think from a balance point of view, you know, we will be working closely with, I'd say the majority of our players will come from New Zealand. I'm yet to be aware of the opportunities of Australian-based players. We'll open it up to that situation, but I know dispensation will be required there. And finally, one last question uh, before we let you go. Um, there's been, obviously, talk um, on the AFL men's side of the equation about playing games overseas. We know it was played in Wellington, uh, St Kilda against Sydney, then St Kilda against the uh, Brisbane Lions. Uh, we've seen games in China. There's now a push for the GWS Giants to hopefully play a game in the United States. Um, but one thing that's really talked about is AFL women's and the possibility of that being played overseas. Of course, you're the, our nearest neighbours and literally a bit almost like flying over to Perth when you think about that time schedule and the time zones that would work uh, for TV coverage as well. Has there been any push behind the scenes to hopefully have an AFL women's game played in New Zealand, particularly that you're talking about a new stadium there in Auckland? Yeah, it's a, it, it is a strategic goal for AFL New Zealand to make that happen. I know that uh, you know, being able to host the first AFL game premiership points in Wellington was a, a real feather in our cap and you know, something we look at as a great achievement. <laughs> that that's stalled because of the fact that we need to be in a, the most popular centre, and that is Auckland. Uh, four times, three three times the population of Wellington. We just don't have a ground from the play at. So the most recent development is Western Springs. That's currently um, has some issues with a bit of a merry, merry go round of um, uh, tenants and where they'll be positioned. But uh, we. We're still hopeful that within the next three years we'll have a stadium there for them to play. Beyond that, we have a, a, a field at um, North Harbour Stadium, which is um, suitable to play, uh, with temporary seating that could fit around about 8,000 people as well. I think that that could be viewed as a, an opportunity. I know that um, if we look at uh, our role in developing the AFL, the most potent um, element to that would be to have our own team. Um, so I know with AFL in the men's competition having a 140 year history to catch up on that certainly makes things difficult but I think it'd be certainly remiss of me not to um, not for our board and for our organisation to have that as a goal a future goal to, to play 
an AFLW game within New Zealand, but also uh, even further than that, to have a, a New Zealand franchise uh, base to be able to uh, play in the competition itself. Well, Rob, thank you very much for your time and joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Uh, well done by getting the AFL New Zealand Women's Premiership up and running. And we look forward to seeing New Zealand running around for the first time in the women's division at the AFL International Cup next year in Melbourne. Appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival coming up in just a moment. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leaguetees.com.au This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Let's continue our international theme for the moment by checking in with the latest from the United States, England and Ireland. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. It's great to have on the line, all the way from Philadelphia, the media manager for the United States Australian Football League, M. Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? Hello from Rapido land, as you called it, Peter. How's it going? <laughs> I guess you're still all very happy over there going to take out back-to-back FIFA Women's World Cups. I think my fourth my, my fourth star is being sewed on my jersey as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, a, a completely dominant performance there. But we're here to talk football of the oval-shaped variety, Australian football. And another big weekend of it coming up there in the United States. The attention now turns after the Eastern Regionals a few weeks ago to now the centre of the country, obviously, for the Central Regionals, Denver, Colorado. Yeah, we're going to be in Westminster, which is up in the northwest suburbs of uh, Denver, where we were for the Western Regionals two years ago. Absolutely beautiful uh, pitch, Peter, with the uh, Rocky Mountains in the background. Uh, good, uh, good surface, good uh, quality surface, as we had a couple of years ago. And as of right now, it looks like we're going to have three teams competing, just like we did at the Eastern Regional. There is a possibility that we might have a fourth, but one thing is for certain, we are going to have three teams at the core with the Denver Lady Bulldogs, the Texas Heat, and the Minnesota Freeze. That's some excellent numbers, considering if we look back just a a few years ago, there was really nothing happening in the Central Region. Yes, there was Minnesota and Denver, but they were more aligned to the West, and of course, everyone else was kind of stuck in the northeast corner of the country. Yeah, and uh, I, I think especially last year when you have, uh, you know, you have Chicago, which has grown, Nashville, which those women, and I know I've mentioned it before, but uh, a lot of those women that played at the Central Regionals in Nashville last year were recruited the week of the tournament. So the fact that now they're going to be bringing half a dozen strong all the way out to Denver is fantastic. After they had four women come to the Eastern Regionals right up the road in Raleigh, um, of course, the North Star Blue Ox sending a couple of players. Uh, Des Moines, which sent uh, half a dozen players to their home tournament, the 80-35 tournament against uh, Minnesota and Denver a few weeks ago as well. Uh, they are going to be sending out a couple. So uh, what it looks like right now, I mentioned the core teams, it looks like Denver, Texas, 
and Minnesota are going to be the three core teams. And then all of the players from all these other uh, teams, uh, all these smaller clubs are going to end up topping up uh, Minnesota and Texas, who it looks like as of now are only bringing about a dozen to 14 players. But all told, Pete, 66 players, and there's a possibility we could hit the 70 mark, uh, in which case we would play four teams. But considering where we were three years ago, where there wasn't even a women's division, or even two years ago, where there was no women's division, this is a giant step forward. Absolutely. So as it sits at the moment, theoretically speaking, it's three teams of 22, 18 and four on the bench, theoretically speaking. But of course, if you get to 70, the numbers could be looking at uh, 15 aside football with uh, two or three on the bench for each side. So those numbers are absolutely excellent. Uh, one of the growth areas, of course, uh, the, we know the Denver Lady Bulldogs have had uh, uh, six national championships in a row. Uh, they just missed the national grand finals last year. And from what I've been doing from watching their social media account, it seems that they've been strong on recruitment again and bringing through plenty of fresh faces. Oh, yeah. And not only that, but as they have in the past, Pete, they've been uh, contributing straight away. Now, if you look at their record for this season, uh, they lost. Uh, they actually went one and one at the 80-35 tournament back on June 22nd in Des Moines. They brought uh, about half a dozen players out for that. They uh, topped up with players from Des Moines. Uh, earlier, they had lost to a combination of players from Los Angeles and Arizona, but it is worth mentioning a little bit of an asterisk next to that because a number of players from the Bulldogs had crossed over to even up the sides. But all told, uh, they had a lot of rookies that had come last year that are still and they're already uh, contributing. You talk about uh, Zoe uh, Doe, who went out to Arizona and had a, a good chance at making the, uh, the the final allotment for the training squad for the USA Freedom. Uh, Claudia Gilles, born in Mexico, had a great tournament in her first head out at Nationals. Also Alexis Koo as well. They have picked up uh, a number of Australian veterans, one of them Tess Maisie, who actually played for Chicago and the Midwest All-Stars last year at the Nationals or at, or at the Central Regionals. Now, they do have some rookies that are coming or some veterans that are coming back. Rebecca Piasetsky is expected to play, as is Anna Thexton, who is uh, entering her 12th season in the USAFL. And of course, the one player to keep an eye on is Sarah Edwards Rohner, who uh, pretty much had the best season of her football life last year and tried uh, to parlay that and is still trying to parlay that into a crack at AFLW at the age of 34. And uh, she just came back from trying out uh, back in May and in June. She went to Melbourne and also uh, up into Queensland to try out for AFLW. I still think they're the favorite here this weekend, but I think it's going to be a lot more competitive for some of these teams as uh, Houston, as uh, Minnesota, and as some of these other teams have gotten better. Let's talk about that Minnesota team because of the run that they had last year at the Nationals. They almost, almost pipped San Francisco to knock them out at the semifinal stage. They were so close, and they gave Denver a good run for their money. That, that Minnesota team, you think about it, you go, they just seem to be so, so close to finally breaking through to take out a championship trophy at the national level. They've had that good 80-35 tournament. They just seem to be bubbling away. 
Yeah, and and you know what, I it, it's hard to look back and 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 question what if, and you know if they beat San Francisco, they go into the grand final against the Seattle team that was uh, that was shorthanded, and you have to figure they matched up really well against them. But it's a new season; they have a new head coach in uh, Brent Fisher. This is his first uh, major tournament uh, as their head coach, and uh, as you said, they're coming off a very impressive eighty thirty five. Uh, a tournament in Des Moines. Now, it'll be interesting to see, there are, as I said, they're only bringing 12 or so. It'll be interesting to see uh, who they get to, to top up and, and have a full side. But you look at some of the players like Paige Kicker, who uh, played in the Western Regionals last year. Minnesota, not really participating in nationals over the last couple of years. So a couple of their players have gone out to get the experience, Paige being one of them. And she really took over for that Portland-LA combination on defense and making uh, a lot of uncontested marks across the half-back line. Kathy Georgiatis is healthy. She'll be out there as well. Jess Nelson, who played for the Liberty a couple of years ago, I think she's an underrated uh, forward. If she's loose, she can be dangerous. And then some of the newer players like Jennifer, for C's, Crystal Carlson, Renee Curtis as well, and then Ray Hale, one of the veterans of this team, still running pretty well. Minnesota's going to challenge Denver. I think this will be a really good test to see where they are, especially since this is just a portion of the side. Still a lot of questions come October. I still think they're probably the second or third best team in the country behind San Francisco. We'll learn a lot this weekend how they travel to Denver. And the third team at the moment officially making up the tournament is the Texas Heat. Of course, we saw they had that great debut in uh, 2017 in San Diego for the US AFL National. Not quite as successful uh, at the 2018 edition. Their side at the moment, which um, they're trying to develop the list, from what I understand, particularly around the Austin and Dallas area, because Houston at the moment is, is making up the backbone of the team. And you heard me uh, accidentally call them Houston a little bit earlier, and that's because they are mostly based in the Houston area and, and driven up from the Lone Stars. Um, the the big key here will be can they get the growth as well in Dallas and Austin, as you said. And Austin's going to get a real shot in the arm. We're going to see the Texas Heat debut of one Heather Serpico, who began in 2013 with the New York Magpies. She was a member of the Liberty that went to play in Australia in 2014 as, as part of the International Cup Tournament. She moved at the beginning of 2016 to Portland and helped turn the Sockeyes from a one or two person just kind of arm of the Portland Aussie Football Club into a Division One and into a perennial uh, challenger. And I think with her enthusiasm, both on and off the field, that might be the turning point, not only for football in Texas, but for football in Austin. In terms of who they have this year, they're going to be without Aubrey Bagley, who's away. Taylor Ballinger suffered an ACL injury. She's out for the season. But there are a number of players who uh, are rookies who they are really excited about. Uh, Melinda Luivano is one of them, as well as Jessica Lampy are players that have really stepped up. And, of course, we'll see Haley Rebar, their one ruck, who is a former catcher at Texas A&M University softball. Um, so... The development will be interesting. I think that, uh, like I said, their game against Minnesota will really kind of show where they are. And they're going to be having uh, a real test against Denver, who are who have a lot of new players themselves. So we'll have to see how it grows. We'll have to see how they do when they get the Nationals. But just like everybody else, it'll be a good litmus test this weekend in Denver.
Now, as you said earlier, they are the three core teams. There is a possibility of a fourth team if another half dozen or so players register for the tournament. Just again, give a quick recap of what are some of the clubs that we're expecting to see a handful of players come from that will top up into these current three sites and possibly make a fourth all-comers team. Well, there's a number of teams from up north, Pete, and this is where I think the crux of uh, the growth has been. Chicago will be sending a number of players down. Uh, Becca Quinn, one of them is expected to come down as well from New South Wales, uh, who has come on in the last couple of years. Uh, there's going to be one player coming down from Wisconsin. Uh, just trying to check who that was. It is not Nafla Poff, but uh, they have a handful of players, and one of them will be coming down as well. Um, North, uh, North Star Blue Ox will be sending a couple of players down. Uh, and of course, um, I think it might be Helen Meyer might be the one who's coming down from Wisconsin, just checking. But uh, Olivia Von Karoff from uh, North Star Blue Ox is coming down. There's one other player from the Blue Ox as well. Um, not sure who they're going to be playing with. It'll be interesting to see if they get paired with Minnesota, comparing, considering they're in the same town. And then you've got the Nashville Kangaroos, which, as I mentioned before, bringing half a dozen players and are coming off a really good showing at the Eastern Regionals. The players that did travel uh, talk about Alexa Roncantio, who played well defensively, uh, uh, Natalie Smith, who uh, along with Roncantio was going to Racine for the Freedom uh, International Cup training squad camp uh, in August. And then uh, Brooke Elias, the British-born player who from played really well in the midfield and accented the uh, forward opportunities for that combination with Columbus and Raleigh. So a lot of talent on offer, and especially also uh, Des Moines. It'll be interesting to see how many players they get down. Uh, Emily Rice, of course, the player who's who's been around since 2016. Those famed Power Ranger, Red Power Ranger, Tyrannosaurus Rex Sox. Uh, she's expected to be there as well. So a uh, lot of good signs coming from these developing sides. And we're looking forward to the action all happening, of course, uh, this Saturday, Westminster, Colorado, which is the northwest part of uh, Denver. And uh, are we hoping for at least later some uh, replays online via the uh, USAFL YouTube channel? Absolutely. We're going to be going and we're actually going to be uh, it. it uh, we plan on filming all the fields. So if there is a second uh, game, if there is a fourth team, uh, we should actually have all six matches from the women's division. That's the hope anyway. As you know and I know, there could be technical issues, but that's our plan. And uh, yeah, uh, youtube.com slash USAFL1997. Keep an eye out in the uh, beginning next week and uh, you'll get to see uh, American Aussie rules action uh, in the mountains on the women's side. And just quickly, I believe round two of the Eastern uh, AFL for both men's and women's occurring uh, this weekend. Yep, up in Yonkers, New York, where the New York Magpies women are coming off a loss uh, a couple of weeks ago against a combination of teams from uh, D.C., Boston, and Philadelphia. And right now, it looks like there are, uh, we're not just checking whether to see there's going to be two separate games or whether there's going to be the one full-on side uh, between New York and then that combination of Baltimore, Boston, and Philadelphia, uh, D.C., Boston, and Philadelphia. Uh, but uh, the Magpies... Still looking good, even though they lost. If they have the full complement, I think that'll be a really good game. Keep an eye out for scores via the United States Australian Football League Facebook page. Brian, thanks again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to hearing from you next week as you give a quick rundown of the results from the Central Regional Tournament being played this weekend. Awesome as always, Pete. Thank you. 
And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival to take a look back at the AFL London Women's League for the weekend. It's great to have on the line Mariana Graham. Maz, how are you? Good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Great to have you on the line for the first time in 2019, taking back at the London Women's League. And we've come to the serious end of the season. Yeah, that's right. Last We've had the second last round and coming up last round of the season, so it should be um, good matches. And we should also mention it was the Pride round over the weekend. Yeah, so um, all the all the teams went out and played in their um, rainbow socks, and for the second time, AFL London actually had a place in, in Pride. So um, I think there was about 50 or 60 that actually went out in March. So it was um, it, it's good, good fun. So let's take a look back at some of the results on the women's premiership played over the weekend. Uh, first of all, at Bounds Green, it was the North London Lions taking on the West London Wildcats. Yep, so the Lions are uh, sort of not unexpected there. Took out that game 3-7-25 to one goal six. And uh, I think consistently this year we've seen Stephanie Philbay kick most of their goals and she's had two of their goals. So um, I think between her and Bonnie Johnson at the Demons, it's going to be close for uh, the goal kicker of the year. In the other game, it was the Premiership favourites, the Wandsworth Demons up against your South East London Giants. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I think the girls went out and gave some good fight. They managed to score two goals against the Demons, which I think earlier on in the season, I don't think we managed to score any. Uh, but the Demons came out on top, 7-5-47, two goals, 12. Um, Bonnie Johnson scored five of those uh, seven goals. And uh, Emily Kelly played well for the Demons. Um, Alex Umbers uh, managed to get some votes. So she's sort of been consistently in the in the top three for the Giants this year. Let's look across the results from the Women's Conference Division. Uh, the West London Wildcats took on the Putney Magpies at Duke's Meadow. Yeah, so this one was a close game. So I think um, the Wildcats seem to have struggled sort of in the conference this year. Well, they obviously put up a good fight against the Magpies. Um, that was... Uh, it was the Magpies won four three twenty seven to three three twenty one, so it's only really a kick in it. Um, and I think for the Magpies, it's probably quite good. It sort of cements their spot in the top two. And the team that was pressuring their spot in the top two was the Wandsworth Demons, their reserves, otherwise known as the Clapham Demons. Uh, yep. They went up against the London Swans at Clapham Common. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately for them, they've come up against a London Swats team that just seems to be unstoppable this year. So uh, the Swans uh, beat them 14-34 to, to zero. Um, but like I said, I don't think that's quite an unsurprising result. Um, for the Swans, Alyssa Moore, Nikki Hammett and Louisa Smith seem to be best best on the day. Um, Swans comfortably on top now, so I really can't see anyone getting past them this year. Let's look ahead to the final round and your predictions. Uh, the final round being played on Saturday, the 13th of July. We'll first go to the Women's Premiership Division, where the West London Wildcats will take on the Wandsworth Demons. Uh, West London needing to cause an upset if there's any chance of getting into second spot. Yeah, that's right. And I think looking at the results uh, for the Demons this year, I don't know that, there, that there, there will be an upset, but you never know in this game. Uh, but I'd say the Demons will probably come out comfortably winners. Um, there's also just uh, there was also a game I think tonight in London. There's a midweek game. The, the North London Lions are playing the Wimbledon Hawks. Um, so I think that will be a quite quite a good close game. But Lions should come out on top. Um, and then Hawks, if the Hawks do manage to, to to win that game, then I think they'll probably cement their place uh, in the in the top four. Yes, because that fight the moment between fourth and fifth is between the Wimbledon Hawks and the South East London Giants being played at Motspur Park. Yeah, that's right. So Saturday's game is pretty much the decider for, for who makes or, or or doesn't make finals. 
And I think in both both games at this team or this season, that they've been quite good tussles. So um, it was only a three-point win to the Hawks last time. So I'd expect something similar, pretty close game between the Hawks and the Giants. I'm a bit undecided as to which way this one could go, I think. And I'd like to say that the Giants could will probably come out on top, but I think it will be quite a close one. So we have a look at the Women's Conference Division and their final round, and it's a tricky final round for the coaches coming into this because it's first versus second and third versus fourth. So how much of your cards do you want to show before the yeah. finals? <laughs> the London Swans and the Putney Magpies doing battle in that first versus second one at Hackney Marshes. Yeah, that's right. And although like, I think Putney and the Swans have had some good games this year, I don't know that they'll that they'll be able to, to beat the Swans. The Swans have have really good team this year. So they've, they've just, no one's really come. I think they've had a couple of close games, but other than that, they seem to be controlling the, the conference. So I'd say as a home game, probably the Swans on top. And in that other match, it's the West London Wildcats and Wandsworth's Clapham Demons at Jukes Meadow. So this one definitely can go either way because both teams have had, um, uh, although I don't think the Wildcats have won a game this year. So, so being a home game, well, I'll say maybe the Wildcats, but the Clapham Demons have, have had, could couple of wins on the trot. So let's go for the Demons for that one. Well, Maz, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to your company next week when we take a look back at the final round and preview the AFL London Women's League final series. No problem. Thanks, Peter. And now joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival to take a look back at the final round of the Australian Tax Solutions Super 7s played in Ireland. It's great to have on the line the man in charge with the Irish Banshees coach in Mike Curran. Mike, how are you? Very good, Peter. How are you? Good to have you on the line and congratulations on a successful Super 7s tournament and it all came to an end this weekend. Yeah, we had our final round of the Super 7s, the Australian Tax Solutions Super 7s this weekend. It was played in a fantastic um, facility at Castleknock GA Club in Dublin, uh, which is actually uh, the home of the West Dublin Garrison. So we were delighted to be able to use their facilities and very grateful for that. Um, they've built a new clubhouse and some new pitches up there. So it really was a great setting for third and final round. So let's take a look at it. It was a shortened format with uh, three teams due to some challenging weather conditions and other factors taking play. But uh, first of all, it was a team that's, uh, of course, been uh, champions across many seasons up against uh, some newcomers that are starting to stake their claims. The West Clare Clare Waves, rather, versus the West Dublin Garrisons. Yeah, our first game was the Waves versus the Garrisons. Um, West Clare Waves obviously went on to, to win the title, but this was their first game of the day. And on a scoreline of three goals, eight behinds, 26, they just very narrowly defeated West Dublin Garrison, three goals, three behinds, 21. So an absolutely cracking match to get proceedings underway. Um, West Dublin Garrison are really proving themselves to be an up-and-coming team and are getting closer and closer to the more established teams um, every time they play. And that really was an exciting game to, to get everybody started. For West Clare Waves, uh, we had a lot of new players on the day. There was, I think, seven new girls playing for Waves, which again is testament to the work being done uh, down there by Rosie Curran and all the girls. And we had goal kickers from Olivia Barrett, Honor Innes and Laura Fleming. And then for West Dublin Garrisons, we had two goals for Olivia Artez and one goal for Orla Higgins. The Waves had to back up for a second match straight afterwards, taking on the Dublin Angels. Yeah, next up, uh, game two, we had West Clare Waves, six goals, four behinds, 40 points to, West, or to Angels 
three goals, one behind the 19. So again, very close game. Um, Angels very uh, efficient in front of goals. Um, for the Angels, we had two goals from Ashling um, Galefi, who obviously featured in Euro Cup the previous week, and also from their young 16-year-old source in Nolan. And for West Air Waves, again, we had two more goals from Olivia Barrett, two goals from Emer Constantine, who was named best on ground for the Waves on the day. And Emer is actually a, a, a well-established sports uh, star in her own right, but is a sister of um, Ailish Constantine, who we all know. And we also had goals from Siobhan Behan and Honor Ennis. And the tournament ended in an absolute thriller between the West Dublin Garrisons and the Dublin Angels. Absolutely, Pete. Yeah, it, at, at this stage, uh, the title was already in the bag for West Air Waves. Uh, we knew coming into round three that the, the real battle was probably for the silver medals. There was only a point on the league table separating West Dublin Garrisons and Dublin Angels at the start of the round. So this game effectively was a, a, a grand final for these teams to, to take a medal spot. And what a cracker it turned out to be. West Dublin Garrisons, four goals, four behinds, 28. Dublin Angels, four goals, two behinds, 26. An absolute thriller from start to finish with literally a couple of points separating at the final siren. And once again for West Dublin Garrisons, we had Olivia Artez with three goals. Lauren Manning, who also featured for the Irish Banshees last week with a goal. And for Dublin Angels, um, captain on the day by Mella Mori. A goal for her, another goal for Saoirse Nolan, uh, Kim White and Ali Coleman. So a, a tremendous game to finish off the official um, competitive games of the Australian Tax Super 7 and secure West Dublin Garrison their silver medal in their first ever competitive uh, event, which is outstanding. And of course, the team that took out the tournament, as you mentioned earlier, the West Clare Waves, uh, again, dominant. Uh, 10 wins from 10 games. Yeah, a huge achievement. They, 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 they're just not showing any signs of letting up. As I said there, I think um, going back through the records from the three rounds of the league, they've had 20 players play through the competition. They had seven new girls playing on Saturday for the final round. Um, phenomenal. Um, a huge squad effort. Ten games from ten, undefeated. In fact, I think they've been undefeated now for pretty much 16 or 17 months. Um, they've never actually lost the competition. We've, we've, they've won six cups since the club and AFL Ireland women was formed at the end of 2017, including two Champions Leagues, two Super 7s, and uh, an AFL Ireland Premiership and an RFIW Draft Cup. So, uh, yeah, it, you have to take your hats off to West Airways. They are just continually um, raising the bar, recruiting new players, and they look like they're going to be around for a long time to come. But equally, it's fantastic to see the likes of West Dublin Garrisons running them so close. Dublin Angels look to be back and strong again this season. And another highlight of the Super 7s would be, of course, that we had Liffey Blues um, and West Dublin Garrisons playing in their first competitive games, but also we had South Dublin Swans playing their first ever games and we had Midland Tigers playing their first ever games. I also believe on the uh, weekend that the Mid-Ulster Mid Suns uh, made their debut. Yes, they did, Pete. Yeah, they were actually uh, scheduled to take part in the event, but they um, just due to a number of incidences and road accidents and stuff, they were short a couple of players by the official start time so they didn't meet the quota to compete competitively. But we actually had um, an exhibition game at the end where Mid-Ulster Suns played against an Australian Tax All-Stars. So it was great to see the girls getting the Suns girls on for the first time, getting some players on the pitch. And she ended up in a crap game as well. Mid-Ulster Suns, one goal, four behind ten to um, Australian All-Stars two goals, two behinds, 14. So 
Um, every single game across today was very close. And again, a very positive finish to see a new team established and um, up, in, up in Ulster, in, in the mid-Ulster sun. And finally, great to see that uh, former West Clare Waves uh, footballer Ailish Considine was there on hand. Of course, we all know her as an Adelaide Crows footballer and winning a premiership in the AFLW this year. She was on hand to hand over the Premiership Cup to Waves captain uh, Laura Egan. We were delighted to see Ailish present on the day. Yeah, she was there. She watched all the games. Her sister Emer was staying on the day. Um, Ailish brought along her premiership, her AFLW premiership medal, which was a huge hit, hugely popular with all the players across all the teams and as you rightly pointed out Ailish uh, was called upon to present the Australian Tax Solutions Super 7's Cup to Waves captain Laura Egan so absolutely phenomenal to have um, Ailish presence and to be presenting the Cup as effectively one of the competitions where she started off maybe 12 or 15 months earlier playing Aussie rules so yeah we're all delighted to see her there well, Mike, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Uh, congratulations again on the Australian Tax uh, Solutions Super 7s tournament for the year. And we look forward to speaking to you again in September, not only as we start to near the uh, European Championship to be played in London in October, but of course for the AFL Island Women's Premiership to kick off uh, in just uh, about a month and a half's time from now. A bit of a mini mid-season break now, but what he's about to kick off again in September and October, so I look forward to chatting to you then. Now, don't go anywhere. Our State League's wrap will be coming up in just a moment. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Our reporter from AFL Queensland, Ant Wingard, is unavailable this week, tied up with the under-16s happening up on the coast at the moment in Queensland, as well as the under-18s national championships. So let's just quickly go through the scores for round 11 from the Bond University QAFLW competition. Yoronga South Brisbane, 8-7. 55 defeated Maruchidor 1612. UQ Red Lions 3927 went down to Cooper in a close one 5232. Absolutely 2-2-14. No match for Bond University 6541. Wilston Grange 2-1-13 went down to Coolangatta Tweed 10-3-63. No QAFLW football next weekend as it will be the third match of the winter series between the Brisbane Lions and the Gold Coast Suns to be played. Ant Wingard will be back next week to give us a report on that match. Quickly across to the Tasmanian State League women's competition. Round 10 was played over the weekend. North Launceston 3-3-21 went down to Glenorchy 7-5-47. Lauderdale one straight six defeated by Clarence 7-9-51 and the Tigers one straight six went down to Launceston 17-10-112. Round 11 action all games on Sunday the 14th of July 12pm at KGV. Clarence play host to Glenorchy 12pm at Lauderdale. Lauderdale play host to Tigers. And 1.30pm at Utah Stadium, North Launceston, play host to Launceston.
Turning our attention now to the West Australian Football League women's competition. Round nine played over the weekend. Pill Thunder 117 went down to East Fremantle 610-46. Was one districts 5636 knocked off Subiaco 3422. Here's the Swans coach, Cara Dunallen. I thought uh, our back line as a unit were fantastic all day, led by Fiona and um, Lauren Osborne down there. Amy Ralph played a role and, and Emily Maguire was really strong. Thought throughout our, our middle half, um, Alicia Jans in the ruck battled out all day. Kelly Gibson, another one that played a role that was fantastic. Our young kids, um, Sinead Davison, chipped in and then um, Sarah and, and Shan Renee were fantastic as well. And then front half, um, well, Gemma Houghton, you know, chipped in with three goals in the end, gave a couple off to one of our young kids in Hayley Cole, kicked her first ever goal for the footy club, which was a fantastic moment for her. Um, Amara Cameron, Cameron down, down forward was also really, really good. And another debutant that we had was um, little uh, Geneva down there, who uh, got her hands on the footy a lot. And again, on the wings, uh, Ashley Sharp and, and Taylor Ferguson played a dual kind of role on, on a really dominant wingman um, from Subiaco, and I think they got the job done. And um, so proud of the girls to get the four points. We've got two weeks off now with, with two buys. We'll be training really, really hard and, and back that up uh, for another strong effort in a few weeks' time. Checking in with the UNSW Canberra First Grade Women's Competition. Round 10 played over the weekend. Balcon and Magpies 24-20-164. Wallop Gungarland Jets no score. Aisley Tricolors 2-2-14 went down to Quimbian Tigers 6-6-42. While the Tuggeranong Hawks, just the one behind, went down to the Eastlake Demons 3 6 24. Round 11 action this weekend. All games on Saturday the 13th of July. 1.15pm at Gungarland. The Jets play host the Quimbian Tigers. 3.45pm at Allen Ray Oval. The Ainsley Tricolors play host the Tuggeranong Hawks. Well, at 5pm at UNSW Canberra Oval. The Eastlake Demons play host to the Balconan Magpies. And joining us on the line now here at RSN Carnival to take a look back at round 12 of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, we've got on the line from Sydney, Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Peter, how are you? I'm pretty well, but it seems like the weather's starting to bite up there in Sydney. We'll talk about that in just a few moments' time. But first, let's have a look at the games that did get played on Saturday, the 6th of July. And we begin, first of all, with Macquarie University doing a number on the UTS Bats. Yeah, they certainly did do a number, and it was a big number. 16, 19, 115 to 0, 0, Peter. So, uh, look, I thought McUni would win comfortably, but I thought that meant by, you know, maybe seven or eight goals because, uh, you know, they're obviously one of the top two sides and and have been for the last couple of years. But um, UTS are an improved side, so I was very surprised to see such a a big scoreline. And, uh, look, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a lot of positives in it for the bats. Um, Melissa Brighton for the Warriors kicked five and, and climbed up the goal-kicking ladder. And, um, look, they're just... I mean, Mac Uni are just, uh, yeah, getting stronger as the season um, continues, Peter. If we have a look at our next game, I guess some good signs for the breakaways after having some struggles over the last few weeks. Uh, they didn't win, but they got very close in the into the inner west Magpies. The Magpies beating the breakaways 5-6-36 to 4-3-27. Yeah, they certainly do and did. And like you said, um, whilst they didn't get the win, they'd have to take a lot out of um, a lot out of the game. The fact that they were, look, I mean, even the little positives, like, you know, being in front by two points at the first break, 
um, and then getting drawing even again at um, at three quarter time and just being competitive the whole game. So definitely a lot of positives um, to take out of that game for the breakaways. Um, it was a really even effort from both sides right across the board, and um, all the goal kickers for the the West Magpies were um, individual. So it's good to get the spread there. And um, the goal kickers for the the breakaways were two to Shearer and, and and one each to Black and um, McInerney. So yeah, look, the closest of the games that were played, and um, certainly a great contest the whole day. And in the third game of the round, the Sydney Uni Bombers, it's a side that we think about over the last few seasons, used to dominate, particularly some of the lower clubs on the table. My, 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 how things have turned. The Sydney Uni Bombers, just the one behind the East Coast Eagles, the juggernaut keeps rolling on, 8-10-58. Yeah, look, juggernaut's definitely the right way of describing them. Um, The Bombers obviously didn't have a great year last year. They only sort of switched on out switched it on in the last third of the season and left their run to the finals too late. Um, they started a lot better this year, though, but probably in the last month haven't um, been in their best of form. But, um, look, the Eagles, like McUni, they just seem that far and above the rest of the teams. And, um, you know, we've mentioned before, this is only their first season in, in Premier Women's, but they certainly had a, a good start and they've, um, you know, set up their club well. They've recruited some big names and also some local young talent. But, um, I mean, look... At quarter time, the Eagles had kicked five behind to, to the Bombers nothing. So it's not like there was much in it. And even at half time, there was only 19 points. So definitely still within striking distance. But the Eagles just, um, they're relentless. They just don't let other teams in. So, you know, the, the longer the season goes on, it really is looking more and more like it'll just be between the, the Eagles and the Warriors. But um, look, Wilson for the Eagles kicked a couple, as did... Um, former Giants-listed player, Del Magisu. And uh, look, they're just, um, yeah, the Eagles are just flying along and, and really progressing nicely. Now, the final match of the round was meant to be between the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs and the Southern Power. That game actually didn't go ahead. Can you explain what happened there? Yeah, so I think the game was originally meant to go ahead at Village Green, which is the Bulldogs' home ground. Um, but due to the, the wet weather in Sydney last week, um, the the ground was then changed. I think it was going to be at Powers home ground of Waratah. And that was a change, I think, maybe on the Friday morning. But then I think by the Friday evening, um, it was called off because Powers home ground was um, shut down because of the weather as well. So I believe that this weekend um, was meant to be a set-aside wet weather round. So um, fortunately for the Power and Bulldogs, it means their game can go ahead, albeit a week late. And I think it's now going to be at Henson Park. So... It's on its third ground in its second week, but we will get a game between these two sides. Saturday, 13th of July, 10.40 a.m., Hanson Park. Take two for the Bulldogs versus the Southern Powers. The other six sides are obviously having the week off and they'll all be going down to Henson Park to watch that game or watching online or listening online via RSN Carnival 2 to check out, of course, uh, the GWS Giants playing Essendon in their fourth uh, invitational match. Yeah, so look, there's... Um there might only be the one game. There's definitely still a lot of footy uh, to watch for uh, AFL Sydney people. Well, Lauren, thanks very much for joining us, and we look forward to your company next week when we preview the next round of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division and look back at the sole game that was played over the weekend. Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter. 
And finally, time to take a look back at round nine of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. We're normally joined by Matthew Cox, but he's away this week. He's up on the Gold Coast calling the AFL Women's Under-18 National Championships. Uh, you can actually watch that by going to AFL Women's on YouTube. And they've already got uh, the first two days of the carnival up there. And you can watch the third and final day of the carnival, which is this Friday. Again, by going to YouTube, just search for AFL Women's. You'll find the live stream there. So taking a little different tact on the segment for this week, I'll be going through some of the better players and stats and we'll be hearing from some of the coaches and players as well on their thoughts on their respective games. Our match the day that we called on Saturday, part two of our two-parter, was the Western Bulldogs and Richmond. This was an absolute classic at VU Witten Oval. And there's the Bulldogs that came away with the win in the end. 4-4-28 to Richmond, 2-10-22. The Tigers will be a bit filthy, not only because they're inaccurate kicking, but if you go through the possession count, they dominated possession against the Bulldogs, 53-47. Kicks, 153. 7 to 135. They had six more handballs. They had 24 more marks and only laid one less tackle. They only lost in uh, hitouts inside 50s and they, in fact, uh, beat the Bulldogs for rebound 50. So dominant in possessions and uh, unfortunately it didn't result on them taking the win on the scoreboard. Looking at disposals, Hannah Scott for the Western Bulldogs. She cleaned up with 25 touches for the day. Bailey Hunt with 18. Sarah Jolly, Emma McKay and uh, Mary Sandra with 13 touches each. For the Tigers, it was Dempsey with 21 touches. Katie Brennan, for the first time against her old side, racked up 17 disposals. And Akak McCure Chart, who was starting at centre-half back but ran through the central corridor quite a bit, picked up 16 touches. Phoebe Monaghan with 15 touches as well. Courtesy of uh, the Richmond Football Club website, here is Tigers coach Tom Hunter, and he admitted it was a bit of a willing game. Certainly a little bit in it. Um, we knew they were strong around the contest and um, yeah, they brought a, probably a pressure that we haven't experienced just yet. And um, obviously Katie and Laura Bailey returning to Witten Oval um, you know, made a bit more of a fiery affair. But um, yeah, we'll learn a lot out of it. Um, disappointing to lose, but um, there's certainly a lot of learnings in there. Probably in the first quarter, we, we wrestled the momentum back our way. And the second quarter was certainly played on our terms. Um, and that reflected by the one-on-one -on -one contest and the tackles. But I think we dropped away after half time, and well, the Bulldogs lifted you know, to their credit. So um, yeah, as I said, we'll reflect on that. And you know, that was probably one of the reasons we got back into the game last week was our one-on-one -on -one work and our contest work so it just shows when it's not there um, you know sides can can get their work their way into the game against us Next up, Carlton and the NT Thunder up there in Darwin. It's crazy. I think they only just played each other a matter of four weeks ago. But due to a quirk of the fixture, they met again in Darwin on a Saturday twilight match. The NT Thunder were down by 21 points at three-quarter time and somehow pulled it out of the fire to beat the Blues 7-5-47 to 6-9-45. Danielle Ponta with three goals for the Thunder. Possession count, Carlton actually dominated that 51 to 49. They had six more kicks than the Thunder, six more handballs, 25 more marks. But the pressure was with the Thunder. They laid nine more tackles. The rack dominance with the Blues with 18 more hitouts. Fairly even on the inside 50s and the rebound 50s. As we go to some of the uh, better player stats for the game, for the winners for the NT Thunder, Anne Hatchard racked up 36 disposals and four tackles. Jasmine Hewitt with 22 touches. Elisa Roberts with six 16 touches, Macania Roberts with 15 touches and Jordan Hickey with 13. For the Blues, it was Gabriella Pound with 29 disposals, Jess Hosking with 22 touches, Abby McKay and uh, Gemma Wright with 18 touches each. Here's NT Thunder coach 
Heidi Thompson. Oh, relieved is one word. I was just really wrapped. Super proud of the girls. I think they responded really well at three-quarter time and I couldn't ask for much more in the way of showing heart and resilience and overcoming huge obstacles. Carlton played a great brand of footy, exciting brand of football, quick play, and we just slowed it down a little bit in that fourth quarter and it paid dividends. I thought they were quite clean in the first half and we probably fundamentally weren't great. Uh, hitting our targets, we missed a few aerial marks, ground balls weren't great. And in that second half, we tightened that up a little bit. On top of that, I thought that in the third quarter in particular, we got heaps more forward entries and that led to momentum and momentum was key. In that fourth quarter, they just had that belief. I could tell at three-quarter time they were on and all I was just waiting for was um, hopefully our, our forwards to come through and jag a couple of goals, which um, DP did. And I thought Jem Cusack in the forward line was fantastic, just brought the ball to ground for some of our smalls to come through. We had a couple of conversations about where we needed our, our key players to be and we thought that um, putting Stevie on the wing would provide some run and it certainly did. She got a heap of the ball out wide and, and was able to run and carry and show her elite speed, which was really exciting. Um, on top of that, putting Geordie Hickey back, uh, usually she'd be in a rotation through the midfield and then through the forward line and, and we just thought that if we can put someone back there who we, who we know is going to have the contest and really put body on and create some turnovers, then we thought that would be a great outcome and she did everything and more for us. I thought Anne Hatchard was sterling. She did a sterling job in that second half. First half was a little bit quiet, but her fourth quarter in particular was an absolute match winner and you just can't go past an AFLW standard of footy and um, and she gave us just first juice, clean at ground level and was calm and composed. Yeah, on top of that, um, had a couple other girls in there. I thought Robbo was absolutely outstanding. We put her back as well. That was another magnet that was moved and uh, we put her back just on the, um, I guess on the proviso that we wanted a little bit more body and, and a bit more leadership back there and she did that and also won the footy and gave us heaps of use into the midfield so I was really I was just really wrapped, I'm really proud of the girls I'm not sure what else to say, uh, it was one of those games where I'll look back and reflect probably in a week or, or two time or maybe even next year and think um, that was a game that was really tough to coach and I thought the girls responded at each break, they, they listened and they engaged in the message and they really executed well so I, I'm just really wrapped to Windy Hill, which was part one of our Saturday doubleheader on RSN Carnival 2, which we brought you the Bombers and the Magpies, a game which the Bombers got within eight points during the final quarter before the league-leading Pies pulled away. 6-4-40 to 3-2-20. Jamie Lambert with three goals for the Pies. As we look at the possession count, 51-49 to in favour of the Magpies. They had six more kicks, three more handballs, an astonishing 18 more marks. The Bombers' pressure, though, something to keep an eye on. 92 tackles. They laid nine more tackles than the Pies for the day and uh, fairly even on the hitouts, the Pies winning with five more, 49 to 44. It was the inside 50s that made a difference in the end. Seven more there for the Magpies. Looking at some of the player stats for the game for the Collingwood Magpies, Jamie Lambert, well, she could be a favourite to take out the Lambert Pierce medal at the end of the year. 25 disposals to go along with her three goals. Chloe Malloy, 17 touches. Nicole Hales with 13 touches for the Pies. For the Bombers, Shay Audley and Georgia Nanskawan with 18 touches each. Megan Focus with 11 touches. A couple of injury concerns out of that game as well. Ashlyn Curley, the uh, Irish woman for the Magpies, appeared to injure her shoulder when she was uh, pushed in the back at one stage during the second term. And Courtney Eugle came from the ground with what appeared to be a uh, right foot ankle injury. She was seen in a moon boot uh, the next day and it has been reported online that she 
will not be partaking in the rest of the VFLW season for 2019. We wish her a speedy recovery. Uh, during the day, we actually caught up with Collingwood coach Penny Kula-Reed and we asked her, considering the buffer that they have now on uh, some of the competition, if they'll take the opportunity to rest a few key players and test the depth of their squad. Now coming in the back half of the season, it's really important for us as a united group is to continue that development. Who knows what happens in the, the mix of final series? We know that we sort of bombed out early last year. We want to hope that that doesn't happen again. So building depth and trying a few new things, giving girls different opportunities in different positions, which you might see out on the football field. We've actually moved one of our key backs into the midfield to see what else she can give us if we need to throw her in there. And um, again, playing a few girls that probably normally wouldn't play in their positions just to see their growth and what else we can help them with. Well, after the previous week's upset over the NT Thunder, the Williamstown Seagulls crashed back to reality against the Southern Saints. The Saints 9-5-59, defeating the Seagulls 1-1-7. Greiser, Munn and Voigt kicking two each for the Saints. The possession count, 60-40. to Absolute domination by the Saints. They had 17 more kicks, 70 more handballs. Extraordinary, 119-49. to Just two more marks. They laid 13 more tackles and dominated the hitouts by 21. They had 17 more inside 50s as well. Looking at some of the possessions out of that game for the Southern Saints, Drennan with 27 touches, Watt with 21. Uh, Melissa Kai is now playing for the Saints. Of course, formerly was on the Collingwood AFLW list. She will be playing with the Saints in the AFLW. She had 20 touches. For the Seagulls, Moana Hope, 21 touches. Pedersen with 17. Shardy Whiting with 13 touches. Speaking after the game to the Wimstown Football Club website, here was Erin Mead and says there is some positives to take out of the game as they look ahead to playing Collingwood this week. So we were in the game today for about two quarters, which was fantastic. And it means that if we hold that structure and do everything right, but then for four quarters next week, we can probably really run it against Collingwood. It was a thriller at Casey Fields between the Demons and the Muggers. The Muggers had held a three-goal advantage at three-quarter time, and it looked all bar over. But the Demons found a way to come back and get just within five points. The Muggers would hold on 5-8-38 to 4-9-33. Katie Angelis with two Two goals for the Muggers. Going through the possession count, 53-47 to 47 in favour of the Muggers. They had 21 more kicks, just the one more handball, fairly even the 82-81. Uh, marks, they had 19 more marks, 61-42. to 42. Uh, Laid nine more tackles. Uh, hitouts fairly similar. Inside 50s, nine more in favour of the Demons. They'll be ruining those wasted chances. Looking at some of the uh, player stats out of that match, for the Muggers, Jess Duffin, 39 touches on absolute fire. Laid eight tackles as well. Kate Gillespie-Jones, a beast, laying 15 tackles for 33 touches. Jazz Grierson with 17 disposals. For the Demons, Libby Birch with 24 touches. Eden Zanka with 21 touches and 16 hitouts. Bianca Jacobson with 18 touches. To the final game of the round, it was the grand final rematch at Box Hill City Oval between Geelong and Hawthorne and and it lived up to the hype with scores dead level at three-quarter time until the Cats pulled away to win 4-7-31 to 3-6-24. Rocky Cranston 
with two goals there for the Cats. The Cats dominated possession 53 to 47. One more kick to the Hawks, though, 149 to 148. It was lopsided, though, in the handballs, 127 to 95 to the Cats' favour. The Hawks took 20 more marks, but the Cats put on the pressure with eight more tackles. The hitouts dominated by the Hawks, 53 to 22. So they'll be uh, ruining that they weren't able to take any advantage, really, in the centre clearances. They actually had four more inside 50s as well. Turning to the player stats from the game for the Cats, Rocky Cranston with 28 touches to go along with her two goals. She also laid four tackles. Webster with 22 touches. Pierce with 20 touches. McDonald with 19 touches as well. For the Hawks, Beck Beeson with 25 disposals. Dylan with 24. Bevan with 23. Meg Hutchins uh, with 16 disposals. And on the hitout count, Lou Watton uh, in charge there with 33 hitouts. Here was uh, Hawthorne coach Paddy Hill speaking to uh, Hawks TV after the game. Yeah, look, I thought we started the game pretty well. Um, we had a clear plan on what we wanted to do. Unfortunately, probably after half time, we just didn't execute well enough. And um, we got some, uh, got to go away and have a look now and switch areas we broke down in and, and what we can do to improve, but we need to improve really quickly. Well, I thought uh, early, in the, in, early in the game, our, certainly our pressure was up. Um, and we had a lot of movement from our forwards. Our head-ups were good, and we really you know, had controlled the ball down our end. As the game wore on, though, we probably didn't locate really, you know, well enough. I think after today's, we probably need to improve a lot of things. Um, you know, we've been good in patches this year, but our consistency over four quarters just hasn't been there. And again, today we played you know, a good quarter and a half and, and then some, some good patches throughout the game uh, where I think we controlled it. But then, you know, for four quarters, we just really haven't put it together this season, other than maybe last week. So after nine rounds, the VFL women's ladder looks like this. It's Collingwood and the Southern Saints at the top of the table, both on seven wins and one loss. The Pies ahead on percentage. In third spot, one win behind those two is the Tigers. One win behind the Tigers in fourth is the NT Thunder. Just behind them on percentage is the Western Bulldogs in fifth. Hawthorne just in the sixth on percentage ahead of Melbourne Uni and Geelong Cats. They're all four wins, four losses. The Casey Demons at the moment sitting in ninth, three wins, five losses. Essendon sitting in tenth on two and six, while tied for bottom position, making up 11, 12, 13 is Carlton, Williamstown and the Darabin Falcons on one win and six losses each. Looking ahead to our round of football for this weekend, we will be starting with a VFLW invitational match between Essendon and the GWS Giants. We'll be live on air on RSN Carnival 2 Saturday morning, 9.30am for a 10.30am bounce down being played at the Hangar in Tullamarine on Melrose Drive. That's Essendon's training facility. They'll be on the MCG-sized oval. Join us then as we present to you Essendon versus the GWS Giants Invitational Match. For Premiership points in the VFLW for Round 10, it's Carlton playing host to Hawthorne, 11am at La Trobe University. At 11.30 on Saturday, Casey Demons playing host to the Western Bulldogs. 11.30 at Victoria Park, it's the Pies playing host to the Seagulls. Well, at 1pm at Deakin Uni, it's the Geelong Cats playing host to the Southern Saints. On Sunday, we'll be live from 11am for a 12pm bounce down at Preston City Oval for the Darabin Falcons versus the NT Thunder and rounding out round 10 on Sunday at 3pm at the Swinburne Centre, better known as Punt Road Oval, it's Richmond versus Melbourne Uni.
And that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. We'll be back again next Wednesday at 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. And don't forget this program is available as a podcast right now by going to rsn.net.au, clicking on programs, then Women's Australian Rules Football, or searching Women's Australian Rules Football on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden and it's bye for now.